Welcome to the MRAC Film Drone Club, a Malenki Razkaz about Chipuka. We are four Bazumi Droogs who vidi a lomtic of film drone every week. One of us, Malchex, chooses a film and we have a Malenki talk. So vidi the films and slushy these four Vex with their horror show goloses. Hey. Who, who is hey. we? What's hey. up? You didn't use mine. What the fuck? Oh, Oh, sorry, I forgot. Well, I already wrote my notes. What is the point of you making us do this work if you're just going to use yours every time? All right, just cut, cut, and do it again. No, no, no. we no, they, we're fucking. No, we're not going to cut. We're not going to cut. the The thing is, in the past, they sent me to them like the night before. You sent it to me oh, like well, you, five minutes before we started the meeting, and I already wrote. Oh my, my god, I'm sorry. You fucking. What do you operate in the fucking the, the board at NASA? Like, what do what do you like, dude? We're running a Zoom film club, but is five minutes not enough to copy and paste it into your goddamn monologue? Which is like, <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, did I offend you? Wait, wait, what I, was yours? Did, you make us do all the like. Listen, man, I did the work. You gotta, you gotta. Let's just say it now. Watch, just say it now. All right, hold on. Now let let's just stop what we're doing and let me go over to the WhatsApp. Hey, and let me, and let me copy and read what you said and <laughs> oh, paste so, it into I'm, my notes. I'm sorry it's so burdenous that you make us do this. I didn't make you do anything. Okay, okay. What, what, you Up to you. You can do what you, you want, tell okay? You can tell us the time requirement. How, how, look, how look, long before Brian, you send it to you? Brian, why don't Brian, you read Brian, yours? Brian, stop Over. hitting yourself. Stop hitting yourself, Brian. Stop hitting yourself. <laughs> no, I'm just... <laughs> no, okay. I'm over. Anyway, Brian, why don't you introduce yourself from the backwoods of Maine? Oh wait, I'd introduce him anyway. And you now see now we're now we're, now we're all we're all in a spiral. Well, that's, what you get. That's, spiral. What you get. that's what you get. All right. Next time I'm just gonna say get it to me earlier, right? Get prepare. Notes. This is this isn't just like willy-nilly there. Three days in advance, guys. <laughs> all right. This week yeah. we're doing Stanley Kubrick. Brian, why don't you just like take Take over. Go for it. This is uh this is this we'll is everybody knows who we are. Everyone's like loyal our loyal listeners, the folks at home knew who we are. Um this is uh Kubrick's now his second decade of work. So he's he's pretty much well known in the film industry. Um he's fresh off making 2001 a Space Odyssey, which was like way over budget. And so from what what a lot of the analyses that I've seen. And all the articles I've read, they have, they've all said that he had to prove to the film studio that he could make a low-budget film. Uh, and this was the product of that. So it's based in a novel by Anthony Burgess, uh, Burgess or Burgess, uh, called The Clockwork Orange, which apparently doesn't mean anything except for it might be some kind of cockney phrase that he had always liked and always wanted to use in a, in a title of a book. And finally, as he started writing this material, he's like, oh. I think I finally get to use this cool phrase I've heard, cock, uh, clockwork orange. Um, so 
uh, Kubrick apparently, and I don't know if any of you read read about this. He apparently removed the film from theaters, so that's kind of a big deal for a, a big name director. Oh, really? That. Yeah, he apparently made the call to remove it from theaters. So we can talk about that later. Um, is it because is that because he was getting it? There were like teens were blaming him in the movie for all their violence at the time. Yeah, he was. He was getting a lot of flack for it being, in, you know. Uh, I mean, aside from all the graphic nature of it, which I mean, he obviously could have predicted while making this, right? <laughs> so I don't really think it was that. It must have been the fact that he thought it might be inspiring um, violence. But uh, I don't want to speak for Kubrick, and I can't really tell because there's not a lot of interviews with the guy. He's he was a pretty private dude. Uh, so the 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 very brief summary of the movie is that uh, it, it starts off following a gang led by Alex. Alex is played by um, uh, Malcolm Gladwell. and <laughs> Not <laughs> Malcolm Gladwell. No, 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 no. Malcolm Jamal Warner. <laughs> Malcolm Jamal Warner. Um, and then Alex basically runs this game, the gang that commits a bunch of, they drink milk in, in, in milk bars and commit acts of ultraviolence. Um and this gang, it's, it doesn't seem to be driven by money, but just really primal urges and just pure evil. Um, and they go around doing really awful things to people. That was the first part of the movie. The second part of the movie is um, his gang turning on him and him going to jail and him going through this process of, quote, reform, which it, which is there's a lot to talk about there. And then the third part of the movie is basically when he is, quote, reformed, gets out of jail and then we 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 have to swim through themes of uh, retribution and politicization of crime, um, and and so we'll get into all this. Uh, but maybe thoughts on the movie. First thoughts, initial thoughts. Anyone want to go first? Pete. Um, sure, sure. Hey, everybody. This is Pete. Um, yeah. What was this movie about? Pete's initial thoughts. What are this? What is this movie about? Should we pause on that one? <laughs> Just kidding. Um, but no. But thanks for explaining that Clockwork Orange has no tr um, known meaning. Um, you mentioned Cockney a second ago. Was there a like? Was there a so the language, the odd language in the movie that was in the book, and. I don't know. Like we all know that the Cockney is like the a type of English that's like slang. So Brian, is that, is that just sort of a um, unintentional uh, connection there, or did the guy who wrote, when did, when was this book written? A couple of years before it was made. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because it did it did remind me of like a futuristic type of Cockney. It was. A little I funky. can I can feel that because I I know like the like. The uh, the Nadzat, the slang, the fictional slang used in it was a combination of Russian and also Cockney, and yeah, oh, interesting. Like that's so yeah. there is like some Cockney in there, yeah. And, and I'm watching this movie, especially mm. toward like when you get the prison, the prison staff, and I literally wrote down, "This is a symphony of British accents." But I wonder if a British person watching this movie would just be like, "This is a movie." Mm. I, I don't know, so. Anyways, if you guys want to talk about the language part, you can. Uh, I have no more uh, distracting commentary. And, and while we're I, a quote from the author of the book, um, this is from the article Marco sent out. Uh, the book was called A Clockwork Orange for various reasons. I had always loved the Cockney phrase, queer is a clockwork orange. 
that being the queerest thing imaginable, and I had saved up the expression for years, hopefully someday to use it as a title. Nice. Um, and why and why we're on that in the book the so not to get like everything's going to be like a comparison to the book but the the author the 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 guy who was originally his wife was killed and he was assaulted he in the book he was writing a book called a clockwork orange and he explained it as something like we're it's like an organic person organic human but it works like a machine and like how we're becoming like machines or something like that i didn't okay. read too much into that yeah. but yeah, it's a really sad story. It's a very sad, like he was he was off fighting. He was off fighting in World War II, and he had a pregnant wife at home who was like beaten, raped, and they like lost their child. Um, and then this was, I mean, this is a hell of a way to deal with a tragedy like that. Um, uh, yeah, it's, it was a rough one. So the author, the author, and his 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 partner went through some rough times for the, for this book to come out. Um, Wait, that actually happened. Yeah, no, that that's 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 like I hate to say the inspiration for, but that that was the inspiration for the author writing the book. Because then he's like, but, "Well, I need to write a book about, you know, out of control young gangs who and in this dystopian future." Because it was like that four, was it was it was four. I think it was four American soldiers who had deserted the war, left and and committed this crime against his partner. Yep, against. Oh yeah, my god! I know it's crazy. Yeah. I had no, yeah, I had no idea about that part. Yeah, there's really no happiness that comes from this movie or book, or oh. <laughs> it's a really bunch of awful topics. Yeah. Um. Okay, next, who's talking? Yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. There you go. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's not uh, this is this is not not like a typical character arc of redemption. Just like he starts out as an evil piece of shit, and he finishes as an evil piece of shit and there's nothing gained well yeah all. no he he gained a job a salary uh he's got a place at his parents house where he's welcome so uh you know and, and his friends got jobs as cops so uh you're, you're thinking ethical i'm thinking more of like practical okay yeah practically, yeah, practically speaking Quantif quantifiable um, no, yeah, I'm just, I'll, I'll re reiterate what I've been saying uh, this whole month, which is, again, another um, yeah, another film that's totally unlike anything else that he's made and completely, um, you know, goes in a, in a totally different direction. And as, as far as I know, it's. We'll, uh... Uh, the, the issue with The Shining being so different to the original and, and changing some some key aspects of, of the character development. But I, I seem to remember having read the book like 20 years ago, uh, it being a, a more relatively more faithful representation uh, of the book. But um, I think like I, I was listening to some commentary. I think some people think it's arguably like his most powerful work. Uh, but really uh yeah i love love the film as i love you know everything that i've seen of his so far uh it's i again uh another useful dystopian perspective of things to you know be aware of and be conscious and mindful of as as we you know we go hurtling into the future uh screaming against our will uh, these are you know potential um 
you know, paths that that we might find for us. So I, I think it's it's very effective as a, a dystopian work as well. Yeah, I'll um, I'll, uh, I'll 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 tag team you there, and then I'll I'll, I'll build off of that. And yeah, the the so I first watched again Kubrick just on like he's just like a master of all genres. He does every film is completely different. I remember watching this in high school. I didn't really like it. I don't think I, I remember being confused, maybe, maybe by the language, maybe bit and just uh, didn't know what was going on. And then just being felt uncomfortable, kind of disturbed. I don't know if I've watched so many films since then, or having just read the book. So I just, and it is in Marco, you're right. It is a very pretty faithful representation of the book. And he changes some things, but what he does change it's for the good of a movie you know the the changes that he does makes and i can get into that later when like certain scenes pop up one one example is when he's being tortured and have to watch those movies there's no there's no commentary by the doctors you don't hear from the doctors because every the whole book is from his perspective so he's kind of working out what they're doing to him internally oh, yeah, yeah, over yeah. And it's done really well. Obviously, it would not work. It, like that that narration wouldn't really work while he's being tortured. So they have the doctors chime in and it works for the for the better, really. So it was. Yeah. And in general, like adaptations, like my my opinion of adaptations, it's always I, and it's very cliche to say, yeah, just read the book. Um, and And the best like the best case scenario, for example, when I saw Dune. I was like, well, he didn't mess with it. You know, like that's that's the best thing like I can say about a, a, a book that I love. Like that's the best thing I can say about a movie adaptation. Like they didn't mess with it. But and to to sort of elevate the story and, and Kubrick um, has done like a number of adaptations. For, so for him to sort of elevate um, the story into the, the visual medium, and make something that's considered to be such a classic is like almost impossible to do. And, and I, as far as I remember having read the book, like I, I would consider this to be of that nature. Well, he, well, he took the book and well, he originally wrote a script, I guess, and didn't like it kind of threw it out. And they used the book. They actually used the book like on set, like we're going to do this page today. They changed it, but he just, he just, they so he did really use the book, but the main difference that I noticed is the book is more, while it has its own invented language, the setting is kind of straightforward. Like what Kubrick does is he, he the, like the absurdity of the scenes, how surreal everything is. Like the milk bar having actual naked statues of the milk comes out of the titties. Like that didn't, there we go. You're drinking your malacca. That didn't, that didn't, everything was, it just, so Kubrick did make it his own and and in his own way right and it's just gorgeous film but he oh. did like the general sense of what was happening in the story he kept it yeah pretty faithful i i think i think it also helps it's not a it's not a long book it's only like 200 pages yeah 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 so so when it's it's um yeah when you're not trying to, to, to turn like a five six hundred page book into a, a, a like a blockbuster film I, I think it makes it easier to to get the essence of the the story into uh, a two-hour there is the missing chapter brian do you did yeah. you, do you know to note about the missing chapter yeah yes i did yes i did i was just gonna 
throw it in there when I when I deemed appropriate, but might as well. We yeah, can wait, <laughs> we can wait to the time. end. No, you know you, you can't. You can't. We get it. You know we teased it. We got to. We got to drop it. So apparently, there's a last chapter of the book um, where the main character, character uh, played by Malcolm in the Middle, he 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 basically gets he he throw he casts away his old life, and he um, in an act of redemption just embraces embraces all the new all new values uh and so they they uh, be, this was before the book was released in the u.s and and they thought that that ending wouldn't be believable enough or acceptable in the u.s so they just took that chapter out yeah he did he did uh it did he did yeah the character kind of was was re it was more well it redeemed, was more, sort of redeemed yeah, he was he was hanging out with another gang and he was sitting there drinking milk and he's like, you know what? He just kept picturing himself in in the future with the family. And it, it goes with the theme of the book, though, about or the theme of the whole story. Yeah. About free choice and free will. He renounced his past. Yeah, and we will we will all get into this. But my my very brief thought, I'll give my I because I, I gave the summary, but I didn't really say what I felt about it. Um I, I was really scared coming into this movie. I had remembered that I had watched either all or part of it many decades ago. And like Raguch, like I, I don't think I was old enough to get it, you know. Um not to say that there is there is one there is one clear message Kubrick is saying. I don't think there is. Um I I've read a lot of analyses online of everybody trying to insist that Kubrick was saying this or insist that he was saying that. Um, but I, I think I think a lot of the analyses missed a point that I that I'd like to bring up, and that sometimes somebody can put out a work of art to make you think, not necessarily to say something, right? Not necessarily to say, ah, this is my one message here. But I think you can put out a very confusing work with a lot of complicated themes that don't necessarily push you in one direction. Like they they really point towards something that's a lot more um a lot more vague like like life itself is 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 there's not a right and a wrong there's there's just a scale right there's a spectrum and i i feel like there are so many themes in this movie uh and so many discussion points that are just i think that are just there to make you think about them but we can talk about that later i liked the movie i was super disturbed by it i pushed through those parts and um and and the the when we talk about just the the thing that I really liked about it was the use of color and the the widescreen lens and the use of color was just absolutely stunning. Dude, I I feel like it, you got through irreversible. Like you should be able to like this. This should all be like a walk in the park after that. Well, can I I I do want to make a point about about that. I don't think this movie is as disturbing as any of those movies just for the and i think it's intentional just to the, because there's no blood no like there's a lot of stuff that makes it your doesn't make the violence as as kind of visceral and as realistic to us because it's so over the top it's so absurd and between that and the language like imagine if they were saying instead of saying the in and out, they were actually saying what it was or like ultra violence is like, ooh, that's a kind of fun upgrade. So I think they're intentionally and it's I think it's because it's from the perspective, the way I saw it, it's from the perspective of Alex. You're getting it from a 15 year old. So it's and even says at one point later, he's like, oh, the 
it's the violence is not real unless you video it on the on the screen. And it wasn't. And the only time you actually get real blood is when he is punched by the police and he spit on. And that's kind of like the most visceral part. Uh, Pete, what do you think? Um, what yeah, threw what threw me off about the the weirdness, of, the the sketchiness of the movie or uncomfortableness is the first fifteen minutes, not knowing what I'm getting into. Didn't read the book, never seen it 20, 30 years ago. I'm I'm going into this movie and I'm thinking, holy cow, this is a future world where like the world is just all these gangs of criminals that are these clown-like 30, 20 year olds, 30 year olds, and and that's and that's the world is overrun. And I'm gonna I'm gonna see how the world and the government and all this stuff works. So then when they like seamlessly 30 minutes into the movie explain that, oh, he's in school and oh, he's got a family and oh, the government is just like today's British government. Oh, and, and everything about the world is just the way it is today. That, that threw me off. So I think watching this movie uh, would really unsettle people in the fact that the, yeah, the first 30 minutes are so creepy and th and then that it twisted into normal life so th that's all that's just a, a naive perspective there oh that's good insight. yeah I, I, like I think yeah the combination yeah really really good point a combination of um a, a world not unlike our own but but I, I guess the implication there is just uh moral destitution combined with a totally incompetent bureaucracy uh you know, on the one hand, and just the significance of the fact that, again, like he, he's, he seems to be in, in a relatively well-off, like middle-class family, and there's no like material necess necessity for him to be, to, not for him in particular, there seems to be like Dim kind of comes off as a character who is in some ways money-driven, because there's the, the whole scene where like, you know, and what are you going to do with all that money, basically? Because Alex doesn't seem to have any interest um, in, in the actual, like, you know, the, 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 the uh, spoils uh, of, of the violence. But um, he's doing it for fun. He's doing yeah. it for fun. That's just like he, he like he has that draw full of money where he just throws it in there. Do you guys view so, them? Yeah. Do you view him as being high school or college age when they talk about being in school? Do you think that the characters are supposed to be like early twenties or? What? He's fifteen. He's no. supposed to be fifteen years old. Oh wow! Yeah, and 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 plus he has that um, the uh, Mister Deltoid. What a name, huh? Uh, but um, the Delt, guy is looking sure. after him, and yeah, it's like like a juvie uh, type. Um, like not quite a parole officer, but like someone who would be there for for juveniles. The one who was that a, was that a real slap? I mean, come on! I'm watching that scene and I'm like, when Malcolm got up in pain after that slap, I was like, wow, this is like some that's some method acting right there. I mean, but did you guys read anything about that? Did he really get smacked in the crotch? Oh, he had his hand over his crotch. No, he whacks it. He goes. Boom. He just but he like, has his, but he has his yeah. hand over his crotch. Okay, you okay, go in. Okay. I mean, okay. trust me, I've went and I've watched, I watched that many times. I zoomed in. <laughs> it's sort of like knuckle knocks his okay, hand. Okay. Yeah. Because I saw the actor run off the stage and I was like, ooh.
too close for comfort. This is good net weight. Now that, you know, now given what we've already talked about, um, if we can, uh, if I can suggest a structure for today, can we talk about, instead of jumping all around, we're going to do part one, part two, part three. So part, part one, which we're already talking about is all the violence. Part two is the prison and reform. And part three is the post-prison retribution. Everybody okay with that? Sounds sure. good. Awesome. Okay. A little ultra violence. Yeah. Yeah. So might as well, let's, let's just focus on the ultra violence part. And, um, I, there, there's one thing I I don't know what you thought. One of my favorite scenes in the movie was also one of the most like so disturbing scenes. And 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 so one of you sent out a, a video on Steven Spielberg's comments on um what he thought about the movie. And it's funny because I hadn't watched that, uh, and then I kind of just watched it later. And it turns out me and Steven Spielberg thought the same thing about this one scene, the singing in the rain scene, the um the the, the juxtaposition of something that is very you know, supposed to be super happy and positive and him singing it all while he's in a mask and beating the shit out of this older couple. Um, it, 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 to me, it was, it like sent chills up my spine, but it was, it was, I don't want to say it was a, I hate to say it was a good scene, but it was just, um, it made me say feel, that. Yeah, it was, it, it, it made, it made me, it me. there aren't many scenes in movies that make me think or feel what they did so it was it, it was and there are a couple scenes like that where he just has the com this this completely whimsical feeling right created by something really good and something really bad happening at the same time I but have it's, also, it's also a great plot device because it just seems like something he he sings just out of habit without thinking about it so when he's back in the home with with the gentleman it's like something you wouldn't even think to consider that you know that would tie him to the crime because it's it's probably like just an afterthought for you know something he just enjoys singing when he engages in uh bathing or ultra violence you he know like, like you know. he was tap dancing while he did it too yeah on that on the note on the note on that scene is apparently that took a few days of filming and they just weren't getting it right and then because that's like what what kubrick did he would just put everyone through this like his horrible scene over and over and over again and he had like a total disregard for the the actors and what they were going through but it just wasn't working and i guess he kubrick asked malcolm mcdonald's like do you know any songs and he's like yeah or can you dance and he just malcolm mcdowell just came out with that that's like the one song he knew and then they were they were like the other people work on Kubrick's like, yeah, that's it. We got it. And the other people work on the film are like, Kubrick, you can't use that. That You can't use that. It's like, get the rights. So so I guess they they went and they got the rights while they were filming. And uh, what's his name? The guy who sings that. What's, I Malcolm X. <laughs> the yeah, singer Malcolm the, X singing in the rank <laughs> of the original song. The original song, I guess, oh. was not was not happy <laughs> with it, I guess. But. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, obviously, but but th that's crazy. I did I did not I did not read about that. Um, wow. Okay. The singing. Pete has a question that was not in the book. No, there was no singing in the book. I I will say for the most part, the book was very aside from the language, it was very straightforward. There was nothing. the The book had a darker, more serious tone. Uh, it wasn't as absurd as absurd as the film. So another over the top scene I thought in that first part of the movie was the fight scene between the two gangs where all I mean, because it wasn't really it wasn't real fighting. Like I saw three different drop kicks and listen, growing up and growing up in the Boston area, like Rigush, I don't know what your experience was, but like 
we would see a fight every single day. 365 well, fights a year we would see. I didn't grow up in the mean streets of Winthrop. Uh, Melrose. No, 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 we, I, I, <laughs> well, actually, we did fight a lot in Winthrop for some reason. Um, but but even going into Boston, even when you're going on to the Baza Boston, point being, you see a lot of fights. Oh, I yeah. People are seen, angry. Yeah. People, people are people are very people are very angry around Boston. <laughs> yeah. But but the point being, in all those fights, I've never seen a single drop kick. Right. And so in, in this fight, again, another reason why why Cooper created something that was so fantastical, even the fight scene between gangs was was completely like uh, it, it was just fantasy. Uh, it, it, was was running, yeah, it was theatrical. Yeah, it was theatrical. Thank you. That's a good, that's a much better word. People were like, it, I mean, people I, were I, jumping off trampolines, doing drop kicks, flying through plates of glass windows, and yeah. it was wild. I I literally just watched an Instagram video about like this is why you don't do drop kicks in a street fight, and the dude just like drops, smacks his head on the pavement. And just has to be like carried off by his friends, and it's just clearly with a concussion. So no, you do not do drop kicks in a street fight. <laughs> and the well, it, go ahead. Um, I was just going to say the shadows, the the just the the scene itself was just very very gorgeous. Long shadows. Yeah. Loved the but, shadows. And when you say theatrical, I mean, is that why the they give costumes like that to the gangs with the makeup, and they've got these like diaper outfits on, like. There, there's a little there's a little bit of the warriors kind of aesthetic in the film mm. i think yeah all all the the different gangs um sort of like nobody policing the streets and then everybody having kind of a, a uniform as they go go around beating the crap out of each other yeah right and, and actually and you're right actually why the word theatrical i think is perfect even in that fight scene when they when they begin assaulting the woman at the beginning they're on stage. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. There were lights on, on them. They're on stage. They're yeah. on a stage. Yeah, yeah, it was crazy. On an actual stage. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it's pretty theatrical. Yeah. Um and and the yeah, the 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 outf- the costumes are great. Just every and that's that's what you get in a Kubrick. Every I don't know if it was Spielberg yeah. or another interview I watched where every, he said he was in every single detail of everything, the costume, the makeup, the set. You, he would just grab the camera and start filming scenes. But when, I'll, like I'll say when, for, for the first half of this movie, I felt like there was a Barry Lyndon vibe in that it wasn't about the actors. It was about the scene, the costume, the set, the furniture. And then, but I, but I changed that halfway after uh, halfway through the movie at the end, it, it shifted for me where there was a lot of like acting and close-ups. but I, I don't know. So I, I was thinking that Kubrick is just amazing with, the visuals of what's happening in the whole scene. So. The the visual of them in the car, they're piled into that. Even the car itself was like, what kind of car was that? It was like a... Re- so you, you can find there is a Top Gear episode um, way back in like season six or seven, or I don't know what it was, but they actually got a hold. Oh, they, that that's what it was. They... They were going to refurbish a classic car from a movie, and one of the cars was was that car from A Clockwork Orange, and it looks awesome. And they they and they don't end up choosing it, and they're like, "Yeah, this would have bankrupted us because it would have been so expensive to actually get this thing onto the road again." But it is a very very cool design that you can actually you can find. Like it's a great car. 
Yeah, I forgot what they he said it. He said what kind of car it was in the uh, movie. I think he said it. I, I don't think it's a real car. I it, I oh, think really? it's the, no, no. It's not a. It's not a um an actual model. I they, think they created. Uh, oh, oh, I, I thought it was. I thought it was a Hyundai. No, I think. I don't know. No, I'm just kidding. Honda, Honda or Hyundai, Hyundai. Yeah. Maybe, maybe a Kia. Kia. Yeah. 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 Uh, right, so uh, is, but, anybody? Anybody? Get anything else for the first part? Because we get still two more parts to talk about. So, so you know, might as well just throw in like the technology. You know, since we're we're kind of already talking about that. So, um, oh geez, apparently we're Kubrick gonna, we're gonna do ask was AI. like, <laughs> no, Kubrick, Kubrick was like a, a a big gadget head. Um, so like he he was paying he would pay a lot of attention to the the kind of tech that he was creating, and just the thing that was very noticeable was the next generation of audio medium which was just a very small cassette tape like that was that was the next step it was just like you know in the future when our cassettes are just really really small love it love it 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 did look pretty it it did look pretty even first time the 70s i mean that was that was way smaller than the walkmans we would use there there was a bit there was a bit of an sorry Sorry, god there was a bit of an American psycho feel in the the scene where he was like having sex with the two girls and the and the music, even the the obsession with the music. So I, I wonder if um, when they made American Psycho later in the '90s, I wonder if they were like thinking about how this this these scenes played out. Has to be inspired. It has to be inspired by. Have Patrick Bateman inspired by Young Alex? That's on so- that scene with the two girls, actually. In the book, it was uh, it played out a lot different. In this, in this, they were like this. They were the same age as him. He just kind of picked them up, and they were into it. In the book, they were ten years old, and he lured them back to his home oh, about to play them music and got them drunk and like had his way oh. with them. Jeez. Yeah, it was, oh. it, it was very different. Hey, so the book is like even sicker than that. Oh my god, that's way dark. Yeah, that was probably one of the darkest things that happened in the book. And then they like got all. But the, I mean, it's from his narration, so he's kind of like, "Oh yeah, I did this and then that, and oh, and then they ran, they were crying, and then they ran off, and yeah." Oh God! No, when the that particular scene, he's got it sped up. Like obviously, it's it's like a twenty-five. I I think they're they're working on that film for for twenty-five minutes, and um, fun fun fact is that Stanley Kubrick had a crush on the brunette. Was this Australian girl? So Malcolm McDowell was saying that, yeah, yeah, I spent a lot more time with her, just uh, just to mess with with Stanley Kubrick. But they do the whole scene, which is like it takes like twenty five minutes, you know. And Kubrick is is directing it from the door because he's got the camera like in the doorway, and then he speeds it up so it ends up just being um, a few minutes and puts over the William Tell overture. That whole sped up scene with from the William Tell Overture was inspired by a Japanese queer film from like 1969. Of course, I'm going to forget the name. But anyway, so that that was actually that was inspired by Japanese cinema. And then you have that sped up scene contrasted with the slowing slow, the heavy slow down scene by the marina where he kicks the two guys into the water and then cuts Dim's hand. So there's this playing with the speed and 
I, the commentary I was listening to was basically saying that he's doing that to sort of pull you out of, he, he doesn't really want you to attach to the characters so much as, as maintain uh, your, your maintain it as, as an outside observer. So, you know, by fucking with the, the tempo and kind of playing around with the speed of things, it, it sort of like throws you out. So you're, you're not getting too sucked in to like, you know, to, getting too attached to Alex. You're, you're kind of getting pulled out and seeing things from the outside. The other thing about the speed up sex scene is I think he was trying to get it past the sensors. Uh, but it, yeah, because you can't really see anything, right? But the senses were like, no, we can't do this because then all the porn films are just going to speed up, you know, their their porn and then claim it's not pornography. So, like, we have to give this a, a mature rating anyway. Yeah, I imagine this movie caused a lot of problems for the <laughs> ratings agencies. There was a little comic relief in that scene, too, where oh, oh. where they finish up and she puts her clothes back on and he goes over and takes them back off or something. There was like, I don't know if you guys noticed that. Yeah, it happens multiple yeah. times. Yeah, yeah, it's great. Yeah. It's like, yeah, yeah. comical, so, comical. It's definitely, uh, and, and that's a great point, Marco, about that, that keeping, and, and that's the whole, at least I think the whole first third of it keeps you at a distance. Every all yeah. the stuff that we're talking about, all the absurdity of it, the 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 way it's shot, the speeding up, the theatricalness, all that stuff is it, it keeps you at a distance. So so yeah, when it, the, when the band breaks up, are we considering that part one or two? I think when no when he goes to jail is 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 okay. in part two. Yeah. yeah. So that Which was we, some some good character development though when they when they do get into their fallouts. Yeah, well, yeah before and, and we I, transition into part two, though, I do think there's uh, somebody else who wants to, a special guest who wants to say something. And that is a segue into our segment we like to call QQ Says. Yeah. Oh, that scene. Oh, man. Meow, meow. That scene with all those cats, meow. Best scene of the year, meow. QQQ, two paws up, meow. Yeah, but who's going to feed the cats now? Uh, well, meow. If only they left that body, we could feast on, on our owner. But since they <laughs> didn't, meow, they confiscated all of Alex's possessions, meow, to put towards um, saving a... Oh, QQ, I want to interrupt you because that reminds me. So, and QQ, great point, uh, great observation. Um, I was there when QQ saw that scene. She was going wild. She started like scratching, uh, scratching stuff and running around the house, like just like she does after she, she takes a poo. But uh, that reminded me. Wait, of wait, was she really? QQ, well, when QQ takes a poo, she just like sprints around the house. Wait, are you asking if she was really watching it with me? And really was excited. I mean, I've seen enough IG videos to know that that animal like that. Like, hold on, because Fabio at, at my sister's was losing his shit when we were watching a movie with sled dogs, and he like was going nuts the whole movie. So, meow. That's because dogs are fucking dumb, Marco. Yeah, <laughs> I know it's real. I know it's real. And what's on TV? Meow. So, I, but you know, for that matter, I've never seen QQ express like above a like a two. 
I, I've heard Max like excitement levels about it too. I think. Well, you got to stick around and wait for her to poo. <laughs> oh, so Pete, part two of the movie. <laughs> wait, wait, right, Rats. Last thing, Pete says, "What do you call that sculpture? That that giant that sculpture penis wasn't in the book." Again, more absurdity. Giant penis sculpture. That's what I would call it. It was a great scene too. Great, great scene uh, with the the Catwoman, Cat Lady. Yeah, in the book, uh, he good. just takes a sculpture and like knocks her over the head with it, and uh, that was pretty. Would, would you would you call that like? Is there a word for that? Because it's a sculpture, but like it, it's like. Would you call that like a kinetic sculpture? Because like you could get it to kind of. I'd call it a a weeble penis. You know, like a weeble wobble, but they don't fall down. Weeble, yeah, yeah okay. weeble penis. Well, also, you know, back to what about the technical term for. What Bruce said earlier about the the violence um, and being a little bit e easier to stomach that, that I, I did note that that scene you're right you don't see the victim at all you just see the the, the camera angles from her looking up and then and him just taking this ridiculous giant white penis sculpture and like almost comically like dropping it down as if he's gonna smash her head right and then and it goes into cartoons yeah it goes into flashes of like cartoons and art and stuff yeah. A psychedelic, some kind of psych like psychedelic trip. Yeah, so just it makes the entire scene completely surreal. Just like the costumes make it surreal, the music makes it surreal. Even the cinematography makes the scene surreal. So, because it's so, Beethoven so about, stuff, but it's like done in a, a synthy, a synthy kind of uh, thing. Yeah, so, so, yeah, so they, yeah, they even make the music. Yeah, uh, they even make the music fantastic. So, so, so about about the music, like I, I was trying to figure out what 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 made this soundtrack like hit differently, and like uh, uh, my my thinking was that I feel that there's minimal ambient noise throughout the film. So when that that synth based soundtrack and like and, and the occasional like uh, classical pieces come in, it's being that this without the music the actual like there's minimal ambient noise and it's actually a very quiet film so um the music that's being overlaid on on top feels like it's filling out a lot more than usual did did, did anybody have that kind of reaction no, that's 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 beyond my pay grade that is yeah that's i think in the in the first half of the movie i i noticed that a bit more as you're, you're that you're showing your music chops there, Marco. I think. I don't think I'm showing my music chops. I, mean, I think I, I think you are. I think no. I think that's a good thing. I think that's the hey man. It's part of the experience you bring to the table, Marco, so, being classically trained drummer. Or uh, yeah, let's just give a shout out to Marco as a Berkeley grad. Huh? Why? Because you know, man, listen, man, listen. It's a very interesting part of your past. Um, and hey guys, before we get into part two, though. Another thing about the way the movie was made, some scenes, and this could actually be a scene from like all three parts of the movie, but some scenes they would use a, it felt like they were using a camera that in the outer corners felt like a bubble effect. Like a fish. So I have a scene, I have a scene I'll talk about in the third part, but if you guys noticed a camera effect like that throughout scenes one or two, like, sneak yeah, it in. I, I read. One note on the camera on the camera. I did read briefly about this and that they, they were saying how they were, he was using it to portray um, the main character, Alex as, as always being like in focus and in the center of the shot. 
and everything around him was supposed to be distorted. It's showing that it is some kind of dystopian reality, you know, whether or not that's true or just somebody overanalyzing the content. I thought it was an interesting point, though. Um, okay, but on, on to part two. Part two, we can talk about um, he goes, Alex goes to prison. Uh, and I think the, you know, one major question that I kept thinking in my head is, you know, what is a fitting punishment? And and this this concept comes out a lot in part two and like the beginning of part three, but mostly part two. So now it's we we we're on past crime, we're on to punishment and reform. Go. Fourteen years. Yeah, I was just gonna say the mannerisms of of the guard, amazing. Like I just, I just loved watching his his, you know, communication, like his vocal, um, you know, method of communicate. Like is everything so stereotypically just very prim, proper British uh, security guard? I I I just really enjoyed watching him. But it was like humor though, because it, it, I I felt like he should have been on Monty Python. Yeah, yeah, it, it almost it almost you know it comes off as like a John Cleese, um, yeah. And Alex's reactions too were were pretty humorous. He just he was just going along with it and got naked. We got to see the top of Malcolm McDowell's uh, shaft. It's always fun. Uh, oh, when 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 he's taking the stuff out of his pocket, pocket like one half bar of chocolate. <laughs> Monty Python. Monty Python. Hundred percent. Like just like the the way he uses the hands, like the finger, you just like, like you know poking the finger down like on the chocolate and and everything. So like stop motion with with the way his, his mannerisms are, like it was great. Yeah, yeah. And and Alex again, my my takeaway from that was like that first time you see blood is when Alex gets punched by the cops and just. That really emphasizing that we're we're getting this all from Alex's perspective, and we don't see, I don't know, we don't we don't see the trial. He's just like kind of in prison, and then he's kind of going along with it. He's 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 having our right time, and you get to see more as it goes on. You see, get to know more of his personality, and he is he acts like a fifteen year old, like he does act very childlike and oh, and, and and his interpretation of the Bible. You like that part? Yeah, yeah. Oh, that was visualizing, visualizing himself in the Bible. But that wow. was meant. That was meant to like crucifying Jesus. I, I'm like, how? Sorry, sorry, Peter. It was just like, how? How more evil can you get? Like, man, I just wish I could have been the one to crucify Christ. Like, yeah, that was. I think that was like a, an awesome part of the movie is that they just keep making his character more like hateful or more despisable. Not, and not only whether whether or not how you feel about religion or Jesus, but like the fact that he he was just constantly trying to game the system and the prison, just and just continue like being violent. So I, I don't know. I thought it played well. Well, that's why they. But he really. I mean, I think whether intentionally or not, probably intentionally, he was really setting up one of the major questions of the film that I saw, and that is, you know, what it what is it better. I guess from a society's point of view, would you rather have a society full of people who do not have the ability to commit a crime or people 
who choose not to commit a crime or have the choice whether to commit a crime or not you know what's what is the better person like the, this is like a big moral philosophical question like if you remove somebody's free will because that's essentially what they did to him and after the torture scene you know they've removed his ability to be violent does that make him a good person now so it's like it's i i, I think a good analog would be like chemical castration um so what what makes the whole thing kind of twisted is that he's not able to engage in, and basically basically you're removing his humanity because he can no longer defend himself. It's not as if he didn't have the ability to be, um, you know, uh, to to be offensive without without cause. It removes his ability to protect himself as well as his ability to procreate. Um, so it's like this in basically complete castration of him as an individual, and he effectively has no free will at that point. What mm. what are you, what point are you talking about when they put him th through when the... When they release... The yeah. The yeah. So okay. this, this technically is going into part three, but I guess yeah. they, they are very related, so uh, it's... Then Brian, on your point there, I, that's the quote I have, but I'll hold it for quotes if you want. But it's essentially what you just said is the quote that I have. Oh, it's a quote. Oh, I didn't even realize and, it was a quote. <laughs> I'll, I'll give and, it if you guys want it now. Yeah. There's there's a good point to be... Oh, sorry. You're going to... Keep going. Yeah, um, just to conclude, the, the quote I got, which aligns with what Brian says, is somebody says, um, goodness comes from within. When a man cannot choose, he ceases to be a man. Pete, it's gotta be the priest. that's a great, that's a great, it's the, it, it was the prison chaplain. It was, and I wrote that down too, because I thought that was a key that just connects to what we we're talking about, Brian, what you were saying. And that in the book, the prison chaplain did say that, and it, it was also said by the guy, the author, um, the author, the, the one that I guess Burgess is based off of the one whose his, his wife was killed. He says the same exact thing. And I think that's, yeah, that's, when, like the main theme he's like the voice of morality the prison chaplain yeah it's really really it's i mean it's it's a, apocalypse times when you find me agreeing with the priest so yeah <laughs> and marco yeah. yeah and 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 just the point to be made like it's not you can't just be you know you you, you don't you're you're not just externally cured of your propensity to to sin like and and this is sort of the you know, we could we could draw like modern day analogies to this idea of, of wanting to shortcut um, necessary experiences or necessary processes like when you're trying to purify oneself or or, or engage in 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 redemption except from um, outside of cases of like revelation or uh, a direct experience of the divine. It's it is a constant struggle uh, to go through purification, and it's it's a it's a it's a long, difficult, intense, painful process to to reach to strive for the good. So this idea of just being able to to cure oneself through science. So um, there's a lot you can draw out of that. Um, the the treatment, um, and this has been a criticism of of the improper use of science we'll, we'll say uh treating man as machine and not man as um a 
a you know what i would what i what i would say is uh man as the spirit or or man being connected to the divine just being a meat sack and so we can apply these scientific processes to cure or to alter at will um but yeah and and it's based you know you you see it it's very obvious from the outside that alex is basically play acting his desire to be better and then he goes into his own fantasies and he's just fantasizing about ultra violence and his only um you know reason for asking about the ludovico technique is just so he can get out faster so he can get back to his old ways so we mm -hmm. can see it from the from the outside but the chaplain in his naivety is actually trying to help alex and to help him to, to, to understand that it is a process that cannot be avoided steps that cannot be skipped uh and the ludovico technique is not a cure it is a um uh, it, it, it is a tool of convenience for the ruling elite, if you will. And it's essentially, it's Pavlov, right? It's, it's, it's this, this associate, it's just association. Yeah. 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 The, the thing that like, I can't, like one thing I can't wait to do to my kids is to like, when my kids are between the ages of like zero and three, I can't gonna wait buy to buy a belt. No, I, I'm going to like put a TV in the room and play videos of like American football but then like have really death metal on top of it. And just, so every time they cry, I'm going to wheel in the TV with the American football. And by the time high school comes around, the kids will not play football. Guys, this, uh, this actually, this brings me to just, so, can I just So, so every, every time the Super Bowl comes around, they're going to try and, you know, leap out of a, a an attic, an attic window. <laughs> Hopefully not that far. But... <laughs> um, the, this this part of the movie though where they're applying the treatment like my favorite part of the movie and i again i went into this blind you guys all might have went in with knowing what this movie was about i went in blind and the minute that he freaks out about beethoven being in the treatment i was like laughing out loud it was it was my most enjoyable part of the whole movie so awesome awesome scene I love what he calls him Ludwig Van. He's like, oh, not Ludwig Van. <laughs> he never yeah. did anything to anybody. <laughs> he never did that. He, he, he rushes to Ludwig Van's defense. I, 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 Pete, I'm with you. I loved this scene. Awesome. And, they, and the doctor was just like, oh, this can't be avoided. This is part of it, I guess. This is part of yeah. the story. <laughs> They're like, there we is, didn't see there this is coming. Yeah. No, no, in that that moment, like in that moment, the the scientists themselves do come off as like dehumanizing and sadistic. Well, that's what they're doing. They're dehumanizing. Yeah. I mean, they're curing them, but really, they. I mean, that seems like the main motivation is that they just want the prisons are too like the the, the doctors are in it for one reason, but the government just the the reason why they're doing this is the prisons are crowded. That's all they yeah. care. About. And are we led to believe that that was coincidental? that they were just sort of putting any soundtrack behind it? Or are we led to believe that the doctors had something, to, um, some opinion of Beethoven? I think well, they because were... they, they go into his cell and like he's holding the bust of Beethoven in the cell. So like, I mean, you can draw that conclusion. I, but they're, but based on the doctor's reactions, they were, they were like, oh, he's a music fan. Like they didn't really, yeah. they didn't know. They didn't, they didn't know. Coincidental. They made it a point to show that the doctors didn't know about that. Mm -hmm. Okay, because okay, the the doctor really he yeah he he said oh 
oh, I didn't I didn't see this one coming. And in, in paraphrasing, you know. Spe- um, speaking of that scene, did, did anyone take the time to appreciate everything he had on that wall? I did look. I did pause and look. Yeah, I did. But he had yeah. a lot of like nudity, top, like, top which is strange because if you're trying to go through reforming through a poli- uh, a priest, you figure you would leave the the topless photos off, but no. And, yeah. and another difference uh, from the book, he had like four roommates and cellmates, and then one of the guy they had this new prisoner come in, and he was kind of an asshole, and they beat him up, and he kind of and Alex put the final blow and killed him. And that oh was, god! It, it was more of him in prison. Yeah, there was there was more of him in prison. <laughs> That's okay, not so- going to take years off your sentence. That usually adds to it. Oh, and another note, another a film note was they really did. Obviously, it's not special effects. They Malcolm McDowell's eyes were really held open for the for like scenes upon scenes. Take by take. Another example of Kubrick just being like, "Oh, we're just going to get the scene. Doesn't matter." Oh my god! The human humans involved in this. That was like his okay, because he's like aggressively eye dropping like his eyes in that. It's all real. It's all real. And I guess he pierced his eye. He was screaming it. Like I think the part where he was screaming, he was actually screaming. Oh, oh Jesus! The guy from Community. Okay, cool. That's where that. And I was wondering where where I like contemporarily knew him from that. And he was in the Rob Zombie's Halloween. Yeah. All right. So so now I guess this is a good time to transition into to part three. Um, where you know, of course, after after Alex after Alex has been cured, um, he now is released back into society. Uh, and, and there's I, I think um again there I think there's a lot of different, for lack of a better word, themes uh that that can be talked about here about crime, punishment, retribution, uh, and when is enough enough even to somebody who is like quote evil right is there is and i and i felt myself being actually quite conflicted because you have before you a person who is who really does if you want if you want to call somebody that word evil this person has to be in that category right they to their core they are a horrible person they they think disgusting violent thoughts and have no respect for human life and yet yet at some point you're like, do you, do you feel guilty as an audience member to be like, oh no, now that this man has been castrated, now that this awful person can't help themselves, part three is all about them essentially going and being tortured by their former victims. And you you see this over and over again, it's mentioned an eye for an eye, going back to the Old Testament, an eye for an eye. And and I think the audience member, especially me, I felt my I felt myself wondering. Is this a principle that I'm on board with? You know, even no matter how bad this person is, do I myself feel comfortable watching a defenseless person be tortured, even if it is by his former victims? And how should I feel about myself having so, this thought? So think of it this way. So before before he's castrated in that sense, like he is the one committing, you know, the acts of evil. But after castration, he be- he's still a vessel for evil. It's just that he's inspiring other people uh, than himself to commit the evil, and and he then becomes the victim. But mm-hmm. he is still his presence in the world is still inspiring further acts of evil. 
even if he's not the one committing. I, I don't know, Marco. It, it like Brian said, eye for an eye, like the the homeless people beating him up. I I wouldn't say he's causing that. I would say it's really just the uh, what he did in the past, coming back to haunt him and people taking revenge. Yeah, so I, I don't. But, I don't. You know, but what what about what about is the two? Because because that's the other aspect of it where. You know, because when when they're on the stage and the guy is addressing the questions and he's basically saying, we're not interested in questions of ethics, morality. We just want to solve the prison issue. Like it's a purely practical, amoral decision that's being made. And after like the other thing you find out is the other thing the government is doing is not only trying this this radical new technique, they're also uh, convincing the hooligans to join the police force because of, and that that's pretty, there's a lot of modern parallels, uh, contemporary parallels to that too. The, the abuse by, by authority where it's just like, well, you know, we need to get these hooligans off the street and also have, you know, individuals that are willing to be sadistic to the hooligans that are there now. So we're just going to pull them into the police force again, without any reformation whatsoever. And, and maturation and development we're just going to put them back on the street so now they're being violent towards those we dislike i i think that part is a critique if if i'm correct i think that part is a critique on government response to crime and and i think they're trying to like drag the general sense of government across the mud in that sense and just saying listen not only are they gonna not only are they gonna be taking criminals treating them this way releasing them back into society but they're also going to be putting them into the police force as well and I, i think that's just a commentary of of the author of the book and or kubrick just shitting on how government deals with crime in the yeah. first place. And, but I don't and, think that's the main and, message of the movie either, but I think that that's, that's one of a hurricane of themes. And, and speak, and speaking of eye for an eye, like, you know, there may, there may be some sense of retribution and the old men, you know, taking it out on Alex, but like dim and Georgie, I think was the other guy. Like there's, there's no retribution in that. Like, those guys are also complete and total pieces of shit. There's, there's no, like, no. there's, there's nothing positive coming out of that whole exchange. Yeah, but that's, but that's looking from their perspective. In the, I, I think that it's just looking from Alex's perspective. It's just, you know, forget about who's doing it to him. It's just he was once on one side of the coin. Now he's on the other side of the coin. And how should we feel about? And because regardless of you know. I, I still felt the feelings like I still, regardless of what is true, I still felt if he had been tortured or killed in the beginning part of the movie, I would have had no qualms with it. Um, but in this, in the second and third parts of the, or it's the third part of the movie, I still felt differently. Like whether evil okay, was okay. Still within him, like it, I still sat there as a third person looking at that and saying, geez, if you remove somebody's capacity for evil, even if they still feel it, is it right for that person to be punished? And that's a that's a big question. So, so, so th- this is this is where like you know much larger social issues, which we're never going to be able to 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 even you know dip into, like barely dip into. But uh, effectively, you know, it's a question of what is the purpose of criminal justice? Is it for um, to reform? the individual or to punish the individual and you know 
you can see the difference in how countries, you know, treat that that issue. Um, in a lot of countries, uh, the the point of criminal justice is more seems more about revenge and and punishment, and there's no real desire to rehabilitate the individual and bring them back into society. And that's the form that you're seeing in this film. Well, it doesn't, I mean, either way, Alex, he becomes a victim. And I think the fact that you are with him, it's from his perspective. He's kind of, it's kind of like an anti-hero. He's not really an anti-hero, but you- But only briefly. You follow him through the, briefly what? Only briefly, because in the book, he actually does reform, but not in the movie. Oh, it's, it's the very so, the very last chapter. But even reform or not reform, you feel at you like that's the greatness of this movie. You do like I agree with Brian. You feel for him because you're with him, and now he's the victim, and he's defenseless, and he's rendered defenseless by the very you know by the state, the government, the people that are supposed to be there to protect you, or whatever whatever reason is whether he's yeah. reformed or not. You do feel for him, correct? You know, Until until the end, when he comes back out on top, we're not and he's there yet. Just yeah. as horrible we're not as at the end yet. Yeah, like, we're not at the very yeah. end. No, yet. We're, yeah, just talking about us in that point of the movie when you don't know. But, but Barker, there's a lot more to that though. There's a lot. We'll get there. So what 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 I found interesting, you know, the big boogeyman of the film had been Alex to this point, and then all of a sudden, like Kubrick and or the author of the book, like they blow it wide open when you realize, oh my god. Alex is just kind of a pawn that's talking about a bigger issue. And the real uh, book man here might actually be the government. And so that's right. what I, because the, uh, so Pete, when going into this movie, I, I had seen it before, but I totally forgot about, I only remembered the first third of the movie. I did not remember it all the last two thirds. And when they, when they started to bring in these bigger issues, that's when my mind started to kind of explode a little bit. And I was like, Oh my God, I forgot. This isn't about Alex at all. Oh, it kind of is, but it also kind of isn't. He's is just a vehicle to tell a much bigger story about a dystopian world. He's, he's also, he's also 15 years old. So that I think that kind of makes a big difference that he's 15. And also he goes back to his parents. He's also rejected by his parents. So whether or not he's really reformed, he I mean, he's just so he comes up with such a positive attitude and he's charming and he's adorable. Is it a fake positive attitude, though? That's a question, because he's very he's very you know how he delivers his lines, right? He's very over the top and like, oh, yes, of course, I'm a good boy now, you know, it is, but he's just so charming. He won, he won me over. No, but he goes, he goes back to his parents and, 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 they, and then there's another guy with him. And I don't know if, if this was in the film, but that guy eventually gets arrested because he was, he was doing something illegal. So he's kind of a fraud, that guy, but he's, he's taking, he's like been taken over as the new son and he's just cast out by his parents. And, but a note on that scene that just, so you got that room that they're in. One room is like a is filled with light bulbs. The entire wall is light bulbs. Another room is blue. Another no, sorry, no, another wall is blue. The ceiling is like red striped. It's the most absurd interior of a room you've ever seen. Uh, just a note on the a note on the on the scenes. 
in the comics. And and that and 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 in him leaving prison was also the return to color for the movie. The the color had almost been completely drained from the middle of the movie, and it was all blacks and grays and whites. Oh yeah, because that is because this is Alex's perspective. Yeah. Yeah. And then it, it was color gray color. It's like the Wizard of Oz. Yeah. Oh yeah. Nice. That must have been that Wizard of Oz. That must have been a huge um a huge leap forward in in like innovation when in the Wizard of Oz when they when they did part gray and part color. No. Just imagine being blind, not being blind, be, not knowing what's happening, going to a theater, and uh, it wouldn't be it wouldn't be cool if you watched that blind. But if you were imagine like being at the time. <laughs> At the oh, time of, of The Wizard of Oz and you're in a movie theater and it goes from black and white to color, that that's like, you I, people probably like died of shock. That's yeah. mind-blowing. Guys, we got to reel you back in here. We gotta, we Pete, pull back Pete, in the reel cover. us back in, Pete. Reel us back in. <laughs> okay. Bring us back in, Pete. What do you got? Okay, we're, part, we're talking about part three. We're talking about part three. Um, One more thing in The Wizard of Oz. No, Pink Floyd. No. <laughs> Did you ever? Oh, all right. Forget it. I want to that. <laughs> You can talk save about it, that save, save it, save it for down the rabbit hole with Renzo. Oh yeah, podcast segments. Oh my god, that's a great segment. This we is this is that. a whole this is a spinoff podcast. This is down this, the rabbit hole. This is like when the Jeffersons came out of uh, All in the Family. Yeah, what what I what I recommended because Rigucci wants to do a podcast with Renzo. So what I what I recommended is that each week he has a special guest, but it's Renzo. <laughs> This this week for our guest, we got Renzo. Renzo, welcome to the pod. Okay, okay. Any Aaron, any any other comments on on the the third part of the movie? Um, because he obviously he he then goes and he goes and meets each one. Of, it's kind of this kind of like the reverse Scrooge, right? Like he goes and he meets everyone, the ghosts of his victims, right? And then his victims all end up torturing him. Whether Can they're I just, good, they end up torturing. Wait, did you say Scrooged? Yeah. Okay, great. I'm glad your your reference is Scrooged and not not yeah. like uh, a Christmas Carol. Carol. Yeah, the actual yeah. I don't even know the actual movie. But, yeah, it's it's but, kind of the reverse Scrooged. Are we is okay? Are we on the part where he's he meets the writer again? We are now. Okay, because that all right. I just want to make sure we didn't miss that. Go for it. Can I start? Because one of my favorite parts of the movie was this guy with the dumbbells. This this person <laughs> who is not in the book, he just he's he's a creation by Kubrick, and apparently this guy who's just a buff dude that's lifting dumbbells, help out this guy in the wheelchair. Apparently, the scene is there a scene when he carries him in a wheelchair, right? Yes, yeah. he carries him so, down the stairs. So like Kubrick, Oscar the Grouch type, like carry down. Just like Oscar, the, and that's what Cooper is like. It's like, have you ever seen Sesame Street? So this guy, this buff guy, Cooper is like, okay, I want you to take him, pick him up in a wheelchair and carry him down these stairs. And he's like, I can't do it. He's like, no, you can do it. He's just like, no, you, you got it. You got this. And he did like multiple takes of him just carry. And he's like, I'm sorry, somebody was breathing heavy. We're going to have to do that again. But <laughs> <laughs> hate this guy. Just, and that's just what he did. That's what he did. He just made people do things for his movie. Uh, but yeah, that was that. That guy was great. That was that was a great addition in in the whole in this. Yeah, I don't know who else has opinions on that. The wheelchair guy. 
the wheelchair guy or the or the buff dude. Well, I, well, I, I thought it was really I thought it was really um a really interesting take because at the very end of the movie, you, you're let on that 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 writer eventually was like thrown in jail or they took care of him. You know, I don't know if they explicitly said what, but 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 eventually he went to you, prison. You, yeah, he went to it. So, so it's weird because you have this guy who is who was a victim of, of of an awful crime, which his wife ended up late ended up indirectly dying from the episode with Alex. Um, and so it's really weird now because it, he committed an act of retribution where he's trying to punish a past wrong. But it was like now kind of spun around because it's being presented as they're telling Stan, as they're telling Alec as he's laying in bed, the government official is in there and saying, oh, don't worry, we took care of this guy. And so now he's supposed to be the bad guy and it's completely reversed. And now Alex is in the public's view, kind of the victim and the good guy. And so the entire script was flipped there and, and and upside down and and now you're really thinking like what the hell is happening what what's what how am I supposed to feel about this and and what I did not know at the time was that and but only after reading after was that he was reverse cured of his you know anti ultra violence thoughts and which you then find out at the very end of the movie well yeah when they and they play the music when the press comes in. So that's sort of what makes it clear. Plus, when he's talking to the psychiatrist and he's getting a little bit more violent in his thoughts. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, we, the, the association that that was great. That he's so he's like, and he gets bashed in the face, <laughs> like he's like laughing. Mm -hmm. and yeah, revert the the for I guess it was more clear in the book. He when he fell out when he jumped out of the window, they uh, he was revert like it just all that treatment just got knocked out of him and he's back to his normal self. Oh. I, it was it was unclear what did it. I thought that they maybe treated him or something. Yeah. Like oh, I think it's just it just got we just got knocked. He got knocked back into his senses oh, when he okay. jumped out of the window. Yeah, the movie made it seem like they were doing some psychiatry um, work over a few weeks or something. They did. Yeah, the when the doctor came in. Yeah, I guess. Oh, yeah. So I maybe it was, that was a difference, or unless I'm not remembering the book correctly, but yeah, they did some stuff on him to reverse cure him. And. and, and it, are the we allowed to nurse were hooking up behind the curtain too? Maybe that helped it because I assume they were consistently doing that while he was in bed. So, oh yeah, a little hanky panky. I, I didn't even see that. Um, are we allowed to believe that the writer identified him when he sang "Singing in the Rain" in the shower? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. Well, because at first he felt bad for him, and he was he was like, "Oh, this is what we can use the, to bring the government down to show." And then and then he realized, "Oh no, this is uh, I know this guy." I think that was always the intention, at least in the in the book. It was they had they were you they were using him to to get there to you know to get at the government really. And, yeah, and they're like, "Oh, we have this guy, and we're gonna we're gonna you know just prove that this." Uh, Ludovico treatment, whatever it's called, Ludovico. Ludovico Ludovico treatment is nonsense. But in the in the movie, and he kind of he like he says things in the book. He's like, "Oh, dim." And he's like, "Dim." Where do I know that name from? So he's just kind of like because he, he the the guy in the wheelchair is kind of he never really it's never really clear if he recognizes him as Al as the guy that killed his wife. But in the for the purpose of the of the film, they sped it up and they made it very clear because he had that look in his face when when he was feeding a pasta, and they drugged him. 
which they didn't do. They didn't do that in the in the book. But he had that look in his face like he was steaming. And Alex is eating his pasta and he just felt like something was up. Like he just had that look in his face, like something not quite right here. Yeah. Well, he also, also that wine glass. That wine did not look like wine. It's very bright. So, so I'm with you on that. And but I think like Alex might have noted that as well. I think that was intentional because he started to like look at the color and his face was looking at it like, wait a second, this isn't wine. And so he was really skeptical to drink it. Maybe. I just I, I just thought that that was him just like because they're they're both just staring at him. So he's he's trying to to be natural. They're just like, oh, well, it looks like a it's like a very nice wine. I I, I didn't really get that that sense from him that he, he was starting to be suspicious. So, all right. So so uh, Raguch, me and you, for some reason, I don't know why, we always end up reading a Roger Ebert review of whatever movie we watch. Did you read the Ebert? Yeah, movie? no, I didn't. I didn't read. I watched the featurette documentary that came with the i watched it late last night though and i didn't have time to upload it and send it i, I didn't okay. read what what's what did ebert have to uh have to so say i was quite quite disappointed and underwhelmed with ebert's review now i'm gonna i'm gonna review ebert's review um he, he kind of came he trashed the movie he trashed kubrick and he had given kubrick awesome reviews before um, but, and I don't, I don't mind him trashing the movie that that's fine. If he didn't like it, he didn't like it, but I don't think he understood it. Not to say that there's one theme that you're supposed to take away from this movie, but what Kubrick, I mean, a Kubrick, um, Ebert basically thought that, that Kubrick was trying to glorify Alex. He said, oh, he's trying to glorify this type of behavior. And I'm, and I'm thinking like, at no, no. point was he ever trying to do that? Yeah. Ebert, Ebert is classically, he's got a thing with violence and he, he really, he didn't get or like horror. He all like horror movies. He just slammed and said, I think it was the same kind of thing. Any kind of violence on film. He just, I don't know. He had a thing with. So he thought he, at the end of the movie, when, when, when Alec was cured of his like anti ultra violence, you know, quote cured, Ebert thought that Kubrick's intention that was for us to cheer when when he was cured of that and w when he was brought back to his restored to his original self. I'm like, but dude, I what? think I can't, I wouldn't. I mean, I don't know. I wouldn't necessarily slam that perspective. It it did. He did. He wasn't like, celebrating it. He was using it as a tool to say something. He wasn't saying like, oh, we should all cheer. Like, I, I don't. Yeah, but, the, but but if you look at the way Al, Alex was, how how lovable he was. Like, I don't know if "lovable" is the right <laughs> word, but how maybe only I found him very. He was adorable. He was adorable when he was when he was being. Can I give a shout out to the scene when the doctor was not the doctor, the uh, chief of interior was feeding him the steak? It, that that was a great. I I was like applauding. The chewing. Malcolm McDowell and like, I'm like oh now I know why he's he's known for this role this is like his role his that role. was so great the chewing he would, he would leave his going... mouth open when he wanted to be fed yeah <laughs> oh my goodness and no, he, no, that was enthusiastic he was and maybe that's Just what he's picking relishing. up you, you relishing did, you did make it so that we we connected with this character in a way in a way i mean yeah he did horrible things and he didn't he didn't 
He wasn't redeemed. Maybe that's what Ebert needed. He needed that last chapter that was cut that to show that he was redeemed. He just, I'm sorry, but he just took away the fact that, that Kubrick's intention of making this was for us to fall in love with Alex and love his behavior and think it was like funny. And, and I, and I just don't, I didn't get that sensation at all. You know, it's not. So, so was, was this, was this the original review, like back in the seventies? The original review. I give his review. I, uh, I give his review one out of five stars. I, th I think that's probably part of it. Um, not necessarily to defend him, but I'm guessing he, I, I would have liked to have seen an updated review. Cause I think at, at that time that was like with, cause now, now we're, we're quite acclimated to, to violence in general. And it's easy to look past the violence simply because we're so used to it and try to understand what's going on behind that. But I, I it's, it is possible at that time it was so in your face and, and so shocking for that generation that it was much harder yeah. to sort of, you know, parse that out and, and try to try to look beyond it. And it was it was. But there but the, but the, there were I mean, it, the film was receiving a lot of praise at the time. And, and and Ebert goes on to talk about how, you know, kind of criticize those who liked the movie. Right. And so he even went out attacking the people and, and the, some of the organizations that praised it. So, I mean, Pete, Pete, did, not, did Ebert also not like the devils? I'm speculating. I thought we talked about that, but no, yeah. don't quote me. That. I can't I can't imagine he, he was a fan, but. Yeah, for the folks at home, the 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 chat is lit up with Pete's comments. <laughs> I got it. I got it. Ebert's yes. audience is your mom's aunt. Aunt, he is telling her if she should watch this. That's all. We'll, we'll I go guess with it's that. for the. It's, he's for the common folk. He Ebert slammed a lot of the horror movies that all the horror movies that came out in the eighties. He's probably this is probably a reaction to like the uh, the exploitation films too of the seventies that were coming out. Where he he might have confused it with them, but I mean, yeah, Kubrick. He's it's just so many layers to this. It's not it's not is that simple. Five minute warning. Okay, we we should jump into a quick note a note dump and then yeah, dump. Marco, do you want to dump your yeah? Notes? I'll, I'll note I'll note dump. Uh, did anybody notice anything interesting about the scene at the record shop? Uh, more specifically, a prominently displayed record uh, in the front. No, no. no yeah, he's got two thousand. The soundtrack to two thousand and one, uh, prominently dis displayed. Like right, yeah. Shameless, yeah. shameless. Yeah. No, that's really it. Um, the other other note dump. Um, interesting thing about his work is that the way he would approach, basically. Uh, um, directors are film film is money right so you have limitations in terms of how much film you can use as well as how many how many times you can ask an actor to do a take before you you end up exhausting the actor so when dealing with that uh kubrick his he would focus on fewer cameras and just redoing the shot until he got the performance that he wanted. And the reason he would reduce the amount of camera angles and cameras on set were because once he got the shot that he needed, he couldn't, he was like, I can't ask the actor to do this again 
for like seven other camera angles. So a, f a feature of Kubrick is that uh, reduced camera angles in, in general. So he favors, uh, except for action scenes. So the static scenes you see from one or two different angles, but when it goes to an action scene, because you need that kind of spontaneous, uh, like the chaos and the spontaneous dynamics that come from multiple angles, and you're not necessarily trying to get a specific shot, like when the, the old men are beating up Alex, then he's using uh, multiple angles and multiple camera shots. But in general, he's kind of holding uh, with these sort of long drawn out shots and doing the zoom out shots with with only one or two angles. Um, so that that's a choice that, that based on limitations um, that he was making. The other thing is his use of the handheld camera, uh, which I think was, um, I, I, I think he was one of the pioneers of this. So two things are that he didn't use, he was like, you can't really ask a camera person as a director to use a handheld because the instructions are so nuanced. It's almost impossible for somebody to, intuit what a director needs so kubrick was doing all his own handheld camera work and the other thing that it allowed him to get a lot of those close-up shots and those odd angle shots like you see the giant penis sculpture coming from above um because he was able to use uh able to use a, a handheld camera and attention to detail he, he also, because there was limit, you mentioned limitations. This was a, a fairly low budget and a lot, it was all like just locations. There weren't any like sets built. I don't think there were many sets built, but like the outside stuff is just locations they found. Mm. Um, anybody got any, any burning notes to. Um, I, I made a note uh, of the, of the right off the beginning at the beginning, the complimentary colors, like the red and the blue that just immediately kind of sets you up, puts you off, off, off balance in a way. That in the camera, that in the wide angle camera lens were that distorted the outsides of the mm -hmm. shot. Um, anybody notice that, uh, the dad, I think I'm almost positive. The dad, I think is, uh, Mr. Grady from the shining. Really? That's what I think. Yeah. I haven't checked. Oh. I have not checked this before, but I looked at it. I'm like, wait, I've seen that guy before. And I think he's, he's the, the previous killer, the guy who murdered his family and is the twins. I think I'll look him up. Yeah, please do. And then the other one I had is I just, why did he keep a snake in his draw? What was that about? <laughs> I have an answer. Oh, what is it? Uh, because Malcolm McDowell hated snakes and Kubrick thought it would be good, a good idea to have him have a pet snake because it wasn't in the book. I think it was Kubrick. It's apparently it was Kubrick just torturing Malcolm McDowell. Oh my God. That's what I, that's what I heard or read somewhere. All right. We'll take that as 50% true then. <laughs> and yeah, any other notes or. The only like, other note was that I don't think in the book, I don't think that lady was topless at the, when they, when, when Alex was on stage and he was trying, they were trying to show him off. She's just, 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 uh, that's it. That's all I, I, I just, I just have a correction. Um, Roger Ebert gave a positive review to the devils. 
So I was wrong there. Okay, go back. Really? Go go back into this movie now. Thanks for Thanks. clarifying, Pete. Yep. Bye. Um, and uh, should we do quotes? I have nothing. Me neither. I already said my quote. Oh, quotes are I got I got two. I got um I got <laughs> okay. I can't believe nobody said this one. So he has to he has to he's basically um his parents were in his bedroom being like, Hey, you gonna go to school? He, he 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 has to take his excuses. He has to take the week off of school because, quote, otherwise I'm liable to miss more school. Absolute Classic genius. Classic move. I have to miss more school because if I don't, I'm going to miss more school. All right. The second quote was, um, I didn't so much like the later part of the book, which is more like preachy talking than fighting in the old in and out. When he was talking about the uh, the New Testament versus the Old Testament, fighting in the old in and out. <laughs> yeah, the later part of the book, which is more preachy talking than the old fighting in the old in and out from the Old that Testament. Is, that, yeah, that's that's good. That's good. Okay, those are my two quotes. And and Brian, you are correct. That that was Grady from The Shining. Good, oh good, yeah, good eye. All right, all right, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to Great. bow out. Marco, rating. Oh shit, rating. Um, wait, hold on. I, I gotta give uh, my one of my there's a lot uh, of to use. Um, here. 4.5 uh, supercars that should have been made out of five. <laughs> Good score. Good score. Wow. All right. All right. So you, you can go and then me and we can we can continue with the we promise not right. to talk about you, Marco. But if you want, if you ever want to find out. You're gonna have to listen. I, I I know I know that promise is gonna be broken, but that's okay. That's okay. That's that's, <laughs> that's fine. That's fine. I'll, I'll find out. Find out what you guys say about me later. All right, I'm out. See, See you later. Cheers, guys. Um, so any other quote? Do you guys have no other quotes? No, that the one quote was said earlier. All right, I, I guess ratings then. Rating time. I specifically, I don't know if you noticed, if you saw in Letterboxd, this time I, I logged that I watched it, but I didn't give it any rating just in case you saw it. Oh, you Last sneak. time, my, my Lolita rating was spoiled. Okay. No. All right. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's smart. I didn't see it. I haven't rated this one yet. So I, I'll say I will give this a, um, I'll give this a four out of five happy poly logies. Happy poly logies. Yeah. That would have been a great. A for the MRAC in an in an intro. Oh, you think so? <laughs> you fucking think so? Pete, what do you let's go over what what we can well, let's go we'll get back into it. Pete, we got the two the two MRACs. Which one do you think is better? I'll go over. So mine was um let me scroll back up. The Amalenki Razkaz about Chapuka which translates to a little story about nonsense. Right? So that that's using the NADZAT. And then you have Brian's, which is... Can, do you Malico, have Malico Razdrez Apipolilogy Chelevec, which, which instead of forming a sentence, uh, it was a couple themes. It was milk bar, which like, come on, you got to include the milk bar. Uh, it was upset. Uh, a, bunch of, a bunch of hooligans who were pretty upset. There were apologies because there were really no apologies, but I love the word. And then Chelevec is just fellow. There are a lot of fellows in there. So that's. Pete, what um, do you think? Mike Gulliver goes with Brian. 
Yes. Oh. God damn you. Because that's what MRAC is all about. Thank you, Pete. It's respecting the rules. Pete's a PC. Pete's a he's Pete's rules. Pete's the writer in the movie. Pete's the writer. Where are these rules? These rules you speak of. Okay, other ratings. Pete, do you want to go or or do you want me to yeah, go? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So for um, let's see, Clockwork Orange. I'm gonna give it seven out of eight. Bill Belichick Super Bowl rings. Wow! Because we lost because we we lost Bill Belichick this week, so this I'll go great. with that. This is great topical, yeah. Can hey, let's give a salute to the to the seven. King Belichick. So seven out of eight is greater than a nine out of ten. No, it's not. What's I what is that my, out of ten? Get my calculator. Off the top of your head. I don't know for for next week. Okay. All right. I'm going to give this. Uh, it's a tough one. Like I said, the first time I saw it in, it was in high school. I was confused and also kind of put off and I haven't seen it in like, not to age myself, but 40 years since I was in high school, you know? Um, wait, you saw this when you were three? Wait, wait a second. You're my age. Uh, you know, I'm not good at math. That would mean you, you saw it when you were like three. I'm not good at math. Maybe that's why I didn't like it. I'm going to give this four point, no, 9.5 out of 10 horror shows. Gooch has been scoring high lately. He's, he's a fan of the Kubrick. I really, yeah, I enjoyed it. I, I couldn't, like not right now, put it up with a 10. So that this actually puts Lolita. And I know we're not talking about Lolita yet, but as far as my Kubrick list of my favorite Kubrick films, Lolita is a notch above A Clockwork Orange at this point. And um, and over the last week of discussion offline, you've raised Barry Lyndon up to an eight. So you are reflecting highly on. I did. Kubrick. I did. Looking back, as like after our talk, and 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 Pete, you, Pete, do you have those bombs you want to drop about Barry Lyndon? He just coming up uh, all the analysis on. this week after the show. No, the 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 bomb that we omitted last week was just that in the beginning of the movie, um, what what's the guy's name? The Barry Lyndon. No, the other the gen the general at the beginning of the movie, the colonel at the beginning that oh, I... that takes his cousin away. Oh, uh, well. Anyways, that guy refers to makes a statement about whether. Um, she would share intimate articles of clothes, clothing with her parrot or lapdog. And basically throughout the movie, Barry Lyndon is parroting whoever he had come across earlier in the movie. So that that was something that we we got impressed with over the uh since our last podcast. And um also we we observed how how great the final duel scene was as we've thought about this one that was great the whole video about the final duel and and the pigeons that were like pooing on them and everything yeah yeah great um all right well so that listen this this brings to a close a clockwork orange and, and up next is is one of my one of my absolute favorite not just my favorite horror movie but one of my favorite movies of all time and that is the shining uh yeah i'm Pumped about that. Agreed. That's in my top 10 of all time. And you, you, I started the book. You're reading the book, right, Brad? I'm reading the book. I got 200 pages left that I got to finish. Ooh, 200 pages left. I'm in, I'm at page like 100, around 100. 
You have to read the whole book. <laughs> I got to read. Yeah, I got 350 pages. And the whole hundred, first 100 pages are about him being an alcoholic. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, for me, it's like a 700-page book. I don't know if the right the font is different for you, but oh, it might have been. It's it's a. It, I might have had like the uh, the for the visually impaired copy or something that I took out. I don't know. I got it out of the library. No, I was gonna say you should have about 600 pages left or so. Is there an abridged version or something? Oh God! <laughs> well, we'll reading, are you reading like the extra, the director's cut? I don't think there's an abridged version. I think they just print it in different sizes. Your 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 font is probably smaller, and your maybe you have one of those books that's like no, mine is huge. My book. Oh really? Oh, that's okay. So they're fitting more words on a page then. That's what uh, it is. That's okay. what it is. Pete, Pete, you have a question. Pete has his hand raised. Yeah, um, I had an idea. I think that Anthony should give a rating of this book, and I think you both should give a rating of the Shining book also next week. Yeah. Yeah, I, I will say my philosophy, though, you know, and I guess I'll have to say this next week as well. Um, we I don't know why we're always forced to rate a movie by how, you know, by by like compare it to or Well, did they stay true to the book? But like, who's to say that they have to right? a movie inevitably is something is going to be something different. And so I, I just. Just because something deviates from a book, I don't think that's negative, right? And I'm not saying anything anybody suggested that, but uh, you, you hear this a lot, like, "Oh, well, they didn't do, they didn't stay true to the book, so." And it's like, "Well, fucking just, just rate it based off of what you see. What did you think?" Well, there, it's it's two different things, and it's impossible <laughs> to go from one to the other, and and it's difficult if you see if you read the book before watching a movie, you're at a disadvantage, which is why I like with the with the Shining having seen the movie, we've seen it so many times and we love the movie. It's not going to like reading the book is not going to ruin the movie for us. I don't think, but we're just, no, but what did you, and what did you enjoy better clockwork orange, the book or the movie? Again, I it's, it was, it was such a great adaptation that I enjoyed both of them equally. I think I'd really, oh, okay. I love the film more maybe than the book. Cause the book I just kept and have, I kept having to refer to a glossary I mean, and the the good thing is now that I I am I, I I know what's a fictional slang language. But I think without the visual cues and context, I think it, in a book it'd be way harder to understand what the language was. Watching the movie, I, I had no problem figuring out what they were trying to say, just because there were a lot oh, of yeah. cues and visuals. I was gonna I was gonna mention that I thought that was really well done that the way that he did use all of the slang, but it wasn't distracting. Because yeah. it, it just with the visuals, it worked. But having read the book, it was a lot like you pick up on a lot more. And I already you already know those words because they're repeated so many times, like vidi to see. It's just it's just you say, I was like, oh, I know that vidi means see. I know that like vec means guy. Mm. But yeah, it's a well, just the adaptations that are not done well, or I guess if it's just a not a good film, like Kubrick takes things and he changes it for specific reasons. Um, it really worked with the Clockwork Orange, and we'll talk about it next week. I mean, Stephen King did not like The Shining, the film, but it was a whole different thing. But I'll have to, I'll have to, I'm going to look for interviews because I want to make the, I want to make sure that this is, oh, you know, what? I'm saving it for next week. Next week, next week. Okay. And and so, so my final closing question to the both of you: Would you rather live in a society that is filled with people who have the opportunity to do bad or good? Or would you rather live in a society that is safe where where everybody's been castrated of the ability to do bad? 
do am i castrated <laughs> good question um <laughs> yes then no okay the Keep other but if i was if i i would i would probably enjoy it though if i was the only one not castrated that's kind of sick and twisted i think <laughs> I, don't, I don't know as long as everybody can have two guns for every every uh citizen of the household i'm i'm fine with either way pete big first big, big first amendment rights guy second amendment rights guy also first all right the shining next week all right the shining tune in next week for the shining uh as for this week uh do you guys get any plugs Anything you want to promote? I want to plug a podcast called Down the Rabbit Hole. <laughs> I've heard of that one, Pete. That's a great one. Uh, yet to be recorded or released, but that's a great uh, preemptive plug for Down the Rabbit Hole with uh, with Renzo. Down the Rabbit Hole with Renzo. Yeah, I can't wait to see who the special guest is for the first week. Tune, you're going to have to tune in to find out. Um, other than that, you know, if you're, you know, if you're a a single female out there and uh you're into a guy you know who knows he knows chinese salsa he can he can salsa dance he's an international traveler uh contact us for uh date inquiries for marco at mracfilmclub at gmail.com and all other inquiries tune in next week for pete's analysis of mm -hmm. a clockwork orange and Okay. Good. All right. You guys need to laugh out loud. Sorry. Let the folks at home know what's happening here. But like a tomato right now. You are pretty red. <laughs> All right. Uh, see you next week. I can't wait to have pizza analysis. I'm going to be sending out documentaries over online. Hey, guys, and then there's this scene. It's like, who the fuck? Uh, I just, no, I just, put, I just put a link in the chat here that I'll talk about next week for Clockwork Orange. <laughs> is, that, is that what that is? Is that what that link is? Yeah. We'll get there, guys. Are you are you cleansed? Let's let's go to something more positive. Did you cleanse for the end? You get it? We did. We have a Japan update. Did you cleanse? The um, I did. I mean, how? So so I found out getting to the airport. I thought the unsen was actually inside the airport. It's not. It was outside, and I didn't have enough time. It was only a five hour layover. So, uh, but like I made up for me. it. I I made a well well well. Normally, it would be enough time, except for Kansai Airport in Osaka uh, has the most inefficient security line I've ever encountered. And the last time I showed up two hours before with my bags <laughs> already checked and ticket in hand, and I nearly missed my flight. Because uh, so, so I was not about to take that risk. Um okay. But I, I made made up for it in Bangkok because I, I just went went to the onsen in Bangkok. Okay, all right. Yeah, there there is apparently like uh, so in the hills. There's a there's a resort slash onsen um, that it looks like you're in Japan. I mean, it just it looks you it looks like you have left anywhere and and like you are now in Japan. 
Um, so I need to go check that out. It's a stay is quite expensive, but they may have day passes just for the bathhouse. So it's stunningly, stunningly beautiful. Wow. And did yeah. he, did he already give the story about salsa or no? Oh, okay. So, so, so because I speak Chinese, I seem to do generally a lot better, even though like, even though I'm trying to sort of move away you know, try to leave that past like behind me. I don't see like I can't speak Thai very well. So I usually end up chatting up the Chinese girls. And there's like 20 of them tonight. And and one of one of the, one of them, like she like lit up when I started speaking Chinese and she happened to be very cute. And when I was dancing with her, like she starts fooling around with my collar and she like opened up my shirt really wide and i was like okay that's a good sign i think i'm in i think i'm in i should definitely get her contact before i leave that's great that's great <laughs> oh my god so, so so i had like i had gotten the contact and i had left and i was going to be here on time and i was like there's something weird and i was like i don't think i got her contact correctly and like she's only here for two weeks so Maybe I see her next week or may fuck it. I'm just going to go back and make sure I get this stupid contact because it just seems like too good of an opportunity. Okay. All right. Wow. 